you have like a gut instinct and I feel like research is somehow like making that gut instinct better. This is a better product original series focused on the power of data and more specifically, how to use data to inform product strategies. I'm Christian. And I'm Anna. Marika McCloskey is a UX researcher and product strategist at Humu. What is Humu? So glad you asked. I, I didn't ask. Humu's uh, B2B software to help employees succeed at work and be better at work. Our mission is to make work better for everyone, which is like, who doesn't want that? Like, work sucks. We all want work to be better. What is so interesting about the conversation with Marike is the insight she provides. Her background is user research. Now, couple that with the fact that her co-founders come from Google, and you get this mix of data science, mix of people understanding, bringing out the human side of things. And how that mix comes together is really in the role of the people scientists at Humu. Their job is to understand employees on the data side, employee data, and they're data scientists. They do a lot of the same work that we know on the product side, people do with product data. And people scientists that work embedded at companies and, for example, are the ones to maybe analyze the engagement survey data or HR data. But they're also all out of psychology degrees that like really want to understand people. So, for example, organizational psychology and trying to understand what we know about people at work and what we know about different types of work and what makes people succeed. And so a lot of the ideas and the foundation Humu is built on is science backed up by people science. So how does that emphasis translate into how they build products? And so when we build products now, it's always a collaboration between people science and product. And I say products, but it's all engineering. And we very frequently include someone from our customer success team to represent what's going on with our customers now. And so every new feature that's built, every new product that we launch is a collaboration from those three groups within the company. With that backdrop, where does Marike fit in? So much of what we're trying to do needed like a better understanding of the users. Like we have a really good understanding of people and people at work, but who are we actually building this product for? We know what's good in general for people. We know it's come out of academic uh, research. We know what we can do with the data, but who are the people who are going to end up using this UI? Like who are the admins of our software? Who are the end users? Great questions to ask, yet too often companies wait to answer these questions about their users, focusing instead on the product itself. When she started, she didn't come in saying, all right, okay, I'm here to do all their user research. Nope, she took a different approach. I'm a firm believer in democratizing research. I think everyone should talk to customers. Everyone should be helping doing research. And so I, like from the beginning, have also like been super clear that I can help facilitate a lot of the research being done, but I cannot do it all myself, nor do I want to do it all myself. How did she start the process of democratizing the data across the Humu organization? Let's start there. So even before tackling any research projects, there were a couple like low-hanging fruits, but then it more general was just like, what are we trying to do? And I realized um, that everyone was talking, but no one had stopped to think about what that experience is like to a user from start to finish. And so I just sort of like flip that around, which is like how I naturally think. Like I think in user flows, I think in what's the journey like, I think in what context do they have coming at this. And we've been thinking very Humu focused, which is totally normal and happens. So it really was coming in and just saying like, hey, I think this is what it's like to an employee when they are at a company, they have had nothing to do with the sales process, like any B2B software, they have no idea this shows up. What is their context? What do they know? And they know nothing. And we should assume that at any point that they hear from us, 
and get a nudge from us or get any other notification or communications that they don't know what this is and why we're doing this. Um, and making sure that, like that is a cohesive experience, both for employees, for managers, and then for like the program is usually run from within HR that varies from company to company um, and make sure that for all those layers, like it's a cohesive and good experience. I want to hit on something really quickly because you said you felt that it was very Humu focused. And if I just replace Humu with product focused for just like for our general listeners to think, what does that mean to you when you say that, you know, the research or, or the way that you're representing was very like you centered, you being the, the product? I mean, it's such a common trap to fall, especially startups, but anywhere, like you love the product that you're building. I mean, that's why you're building it and you think it's going to do good but you think about where the product is showing up and you're thinking about the perspective of like, I'm building this product in sort of the like ideal world of like, well, this is the perfect usage of it. And just taking a moment to like, think of what that's going to feel like for people on the other side, like how are they going to experience it can really help see some of the like, just some obvious gaps that are typically easy to fix and easy to work around. I feel like it's really interesting. This difference between how you understand users and people. Could you talk a little bit about that? Yes. Um, so there's a lot that we know about human behavior and I leverage that too. I mean, it's why I went into UX research. Like I also, I studied uh, cognitive neuroscience and psychology. I'm just fascinated by how people think and how people work. And there's a lot that's common and design leverages this a ton too, right? Like there's just stuff we know about human limitations and um, memory is a great one. Like there's only so much we can remember at a time. You don't want to make your users work for information. So there's sort of like generally what we know about people. And this is like how people use products. There's also a lot that we know about people at work. So what I, I mentioned, the people science team, and lots of them have PhDs in a topic related to people at work. And so maybe this is like some people have dived really deep into teams and what makes teams effective. And so there's a lot of like academic research that we can leverage that's generalizable within certain, like some of it's just maybe focused on the US or certain types of workers. And we leverage like research from across the world. But then there's using that and leveraging that to make sort of good decisions up front. It's like, based on this, we think this is going to work really well. But then when we actually put our product in front of users, there's all the context that they bring with themselves. So maybe it's the company culture where we're deploying Humu. It could be the specific type of worker. And maybe there isn't that much research about it. There's all the other products that they're using. And like the academic research is a great baseline, but there's still like, it's still software that people are using. And they're still going to be in their email inbox and in Google Sheets or Excel or like whatever other software, like maybe they're in Salesforce all day or some ticketing system if they're in a call center. And like, we have to think about Humu being used in that context because the sort of like idealized world of how all people think doesn't actually make people use our product and get better and, and have that help them at work. So how do you get that context? And there's a couple places where I love to start with doing research. I have to say that B2B world is like totally different than B2C. And so I'll share some ideas for B2B first, and then we can always touch on like how I would do this. I have always worked, mostly worked in a B2B space. Have done That's fine. B2C things. is just, you just ask your friends on Facebook. So we actually know how that works. <laughs> Great. <laughs> kidding, but not kidding. Uh, I see it a lot. Yeah. So in the B2B world, we obviously have the buyers and then the sort of like, we call them the program managers. There's like, like someone has to roll out Humu to the company so that we can nudge all employees. And that's like, they have admin access to Humu. Um, they're the program manager. Sometimes they're the buyer or not. 
they have a ton of context on what's going on at the company. And so our uh, customer success team that we call partner experience, they they have that relationship and their job is relationship building. And so I've actually leveraged them a lot and I've joined their meetings with partners and just said, hey, can I be a fly on the wall? And can I just listen? I'm curious what questions they've asked. And then last year I decided to go deep on what these program managers need and want and do. And since we had the relationship established with them, I just asked our partner experience team if I could talk to their contacts and they they told me who would be a good person to talk to or who not, who we have a good relationship with. There's also like for a lot of companies and not just one person, it's several people. And I like spent an hour with them talking a little bit about Humu, but actually talking a lot more about what else is going on. Like what other products do they use? What are they thinking about? What are they working on? What projects are going on? And spent way more time talking not about Humu than we did talking about Humu. Um, and you could apply that. I haven't done this yet, like in that much depth with our, like with end users, but it's the same idea. It's actually spending time finding out what else they're using. Like what, what are they not, like when they are not in your product, what's going on in their world? And it's fascinating, like tons of really interesting ideas for things that we could leverage, but also just like how much it helped me realize how much they're like connecting pieces from like all these different places, especially like within HR and HR gets such a bad reputation. And it's incredible to talk to people in HR because they just like love sharing their stories and they are so passionate about the employees at work. Um, And they're constantly like they'll any piece of information about what's going on with employees they'll take. And so they're these like connectors of like, there's some information here, there's some information here, and they're trying to like synthesize all of that and make sense of it. Um, And that was an incredible learning that had, it really doesn't touch that much on Humu, but was so helpful in understanding what's going on outside of that. And then the other place to start is support tickets. I think this is great. And actually that is also not just B2B, but also B2C, but the people who write into support are a great place to start because they've taken the time to either tell you that they love you or hate you. And I do a lot of following up on support tickets because I want to hear what's going on either way. I think when a lot of people think about research, they think about it in a really validative way that we've built this thing. You know, can you accomplish your time on task? How did that feel? Did you get done what you wanted to get done? Um, And it sounds like you kind of see yourself more as like understanding people a little more deeply and a little more holistically. So when you think about research and even even research at a startup, how do you think about your your research strategy? There's a couple of things that we've done at Humu, and I say we because I can't take credit for all of this. Our development process now carves out time for exploration, and this was huge. And so there's when I joined the exploration, a sort of discovery step was happening because like someone has to decide that this is like a good new feature to build, but it was kind of like happening haphazardly and it was not cross-functional. And so uh, myself and Ben, our head of design, were like, let's like, we sh- this, this should be part of our projects. Like we should, when we kick off a new feature, we need to dedicate time to that exploration and discovery. And this is like super is common in like most product development frameworks. But for us, the the key difference there was that engineers used to get involved when it was like, okay, we're ready. We have the like PRD ready. Like this, these are the recs, go build, go for it. And it was like, well, what if we like pulled engineering in and people science and had everyone chat about like, what are we trying to accomplish before we have a solution in mind? Or maybe we have a solution in mind, but let's get aligned on like what we think the solution is going to solve. And then what assumptions we're making 
And that has super helped. I don't now have to be in the room, but I can like see those assumptions. I can listen. Sometimes a lot of what I also do, and this is sort of like a more general UX practitioner work, is just like helping get those questions answered and getting the right like information out because not everyone thinks that way. But that has really helped get away from just like, hey, can you test this prototype? Like when I joined, there was a like, let's do some usability testing. It was way at the end. It's like, let's make sure that before we release this thing, it's like textbook. It's great. <laughs> let's make sure that this thing works for people. It's great. Um, and so just like pulling that so much early, like just saying like, okay, this is the group that's going to build a solution to solve this problem. What's this problem? How do we know that this is a problem? And we can't do research on all of that. So a lot of it's like, we think that we know this is a problem because we've heard some people complain about it, or it's really bothering us, which is great. But let's know that that's an assumption we're making. Like we're assuming that this is true for everyone. And that if we fix this, we're going to, whatever the outcome is that we want to hit. And so I sometimes get involved depending on the project. We'll do some of that. Like it's more the like testing some of those risks, right? Like validating or invalidating some of those like assumptions that we're making um, is one piece to not get stuck in just like constantly testing final products or prototypes. I have empowered almost every functional group at the company to do some of their own validation, which is work I love doing. And so there's part of our people science team is also the people who write our nudges. So that's also based on existing research and behavioral science. Like we um, know that it's just hard to change, right? Like any habit that you've ever like tried to take on, it's really hard to establish that habit, to do it over and over again. There's lots of things that you know you should do especially as a manager, there's like so many things, you know, you need to questions you need to ask and types of meetings to have and like ways to check in. And it's just hard to do all of those always. And so we know from behavioral science that like slowly sort of incrementally building these habits and like the, the constant reminders really help people. And that's, so our people science team writes the nudges, the science we believe maybe doesn't apply to every type of worker that we do it for, but there's also like, we have a tone of voice. Like, I think it's a really approachable tone, but we have also for some of our nudges heard that it sounds too Californian and like, that's great feedback. <laughs> and so there's some uh, pretty lightweight, easy validative research to do, but I don't need to do it. So I helped uh, our people science team get set up. We leverage user testing a lot, partly because I worked there for five years and love the product. Um, but it's a really, really great way to, to get feedback quickly. And so they're set up, our customer success team sends a tons of, like sends so many emails out to people and they test those emails now. And so that validation work can be done by others or designers test their own prototypes, which then frees up time for me to then once any, I mean, maybe two or three really big projects a year where I can then go deep and think ahead, think about something else and try to like answer those questions. So how do you sort of make the case to get people out of thinking about research fully from that, that evaluative like validation and get them to think earlier? What, what are some quick value props to say like, yes, validation is important, but here's what, what other value it can provide if you bring it earlier? We all make decisions always. Like we're constantly making decisions and you're going to make those decisions no matter what. And so as a PM, especially like early at a startup, you're constantly making decisions. Do we go left? Do we go right? Do we build this feature or not? And like the earlier you do research and the more you bake research into it, you're just going to feel more confident in those decisions. And so I think it's a fairly simple and you can learn to do that. And there are like incredible PMs that do this, incredible designers that know how to do this too. Design is also not always hired early enough in the process, right? So 
but bringing in that research, like it's like you have like a gut instinct and I feel like research is somehow like making that gut instinct better. And so I think hiring a researcher early, like that researcher can tackle some of the harder problems, but also just like train that skill of like, how do we, and you, I mean, sometimes we write like lists and we have like 25 assumptions that we're making that we know of. We can't tackle all of them, but there's probably a couple that you're like, oh, this just doesn't feel like, I just don't know. And that feeling is constant every day, right? Like I just don't know. And research can really help with that. So we were talking before we got started a little bit about Humu and the the makeup of the product organization. You mentioned that there are people scientists, research, you, you obviously you have a designer and there's an engineering team, but you, you mentioned that there were no product managers. And I'm very curious about this. I'm curious if, was this a very specific decision about how to kind of structure the team? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. It's both intentional and not intentional sort of like circumstances and who, who we've hired. One of our co- one of the co-founders, Wayne Crosby, is the head of, he's an engineer by trade. He's the head of product and he is doing a great job leading the product as um, both engineering and sort of like everyone else. We sometimes call ourselves the others, but it's really the like all these like other pieces that fit together. And part of why we don't have like a dedicated PM or PM function now is that Wayne has from the start really wanted everyone to feel like a product owner. And I thought that that was such like, oh, he's just selling me on this and the interview process, like everyone's a product owner. We all feel this like ownership. And I showed up on day one and it's really true. Like everyone feels like they have a stake in like the product and everyone can come up with product ideas. And so we will hire PM. So this isn't a like who moves never going to have a PM and we don't believe in product management. It's just the like, how can we do this thoughtfully in a way that makes sense for Humu and maintain that sense of like, everyone feels that ownership. And then the other thing that we established this year that's been working super well is what we're calling Workstream Leads. And we have sort of like a platform Workstream that's trying, that's working on just like making sort of all the like reusable components that we might use for different Humu solutions. And then a solutions Workstream that's working specifically on like pulling these pieces together to maybe solve like a manager effectiveness problem, or we recently launched an organizational resilience because in these times, who doesn't need a little bit more of that? And then we have a customer work stream and these work stream leads are a combination of engineering and people science. And that's been such a great way to pull in the science that is so foundational to what we do and why we do it. And such a great driving force with the like technical expertise that in a lot of ways they're functioning as PMs. They just released our Q3 roadmap. Like they, they decided what to do. They do a lot of also then the like, who do we have? What resources do we have? What do we need? And so from a like tactical execution piece, it's working well and it's running. And I love how much like any engineer, also our super junior engineers can come up and say, I have this idea. And they can also lead product development. Like every new, when we kick off a new feature build, anyone can be the product owner for that like duration of that project. Like whether or not it's two weeks or two months or three months. Um, And that's like such a great opportunity. And one of the benefits of joining a startup, I'm excited for the sort of like when we do hire like a head of product and someone to like really help shape that. But it seems to for now be working. And what I personally really like in that is that then I, as a researcher, no one feels that sense of like ownership of the like, I make all the product decisions and this is how we do it. It's because it's established collaboratively, it's actually really easy to then insert the research or insert insights and it's like, hey, this is what we learned from this project. Or I remember like we did something similar here. Let's leverage that to make our decisions. 
was a great conversation with Marika, and I think we could have talked to her for a lot longer, uh, especially because we we come from that world. So to to keep us from spending another hour on at, at the end of this talking about it, I'm going to give each of us one thing that stood out. So get your get your key insight ready, Anna. I'll kick it off. Give you time to scramble. I'm just kidding. I know what you're going to say, but just want to add some, so, uh, some a little bit of drama for the audience. Exactly. Yeah. People <laughs> are like, whoa, is Anna going to get ready? I don't know. So the, the insight that I wanted to pull out is actually not something new, at least if, for us, but I thought she did a good job explaining it. And that's really about where research is valuable when you're creating products. And, you know, you and I always joke that most people outside of UX and in research think equate user research with user testing or validating ideas or usability testing. And we're usually trying to get people to, to see that it comes earlier. And, and one of the lines you and I use a lot is sort of thinking about it like, well, you, you can validate bad ideas done well, but you can't really tell whether the idea itself was good. And so I think that's what she's tried to do at Humu is really to get user research. It is validating. You're validating what did we put in the product and how successful is it? But really you have to back up because, you know, in some of her research, when she's doing that contextual research, she may find and discover things that actually invalidate even doing something in the product at all. Like you might say, we're going to go you know, do this feature and you go out and research and say, they actually use these other tools to do that. And I don't think they're going to switch. And, and so I don't know if we should shift our focus there. That's really impactful. That's a really powerful, I think, usage of research where you save a lot of maybe wasted dev effort on features that never should have gone out to begin with. Yeah, she talked about how the team would, you know, list their assumptions. Like these are the assumptions we are making when it comes to this feature. And I I agree. I mean, you can think it's a really to like rarely simplify upfront research. It's about almost validating that the problem you are trying to solve actually exists or that the opportunity actually exists, that people actually have this pain and they want to do something different with it. And I think it was in that Tina Fey movie, the Whiskey Tango Foxtrot, where like these like researchers went into this country and they were like, oh, everybody has to walk to the well to get water. So like, let's put a well in the village. And then it turns out that like the women liked the walk to the well because that's how they like they talked and they learned and it's that idea of like you go and you think you're solving a problem but you don't understand the context you don't understand that like this might seem like a problem but and and in reality it's like there are these other kind of things built around it yeah i think i didn't see that movie but where did i i don't know i don't remember that reminds me i was talking to somebody earlier today about this example of people there were some startups that were trying to like automate the coffee shop effectively and like made automated barista. And I was like, that's just ignoring one key thing that people like about coffee shops, which is like socializing and hanging out. And if you look at getting coffee purely from like validating, like, wow, long lines, like waiting in lines and all that, it's like, we should get rid of that. Yes, it would succeed. But like, to your point, if you actually research and say, actually people like to meet here and and all that. If you focus that research on can you use this digital barista? You'd be like, oh, well, I wasn't sure where the enter button was. And I, you know, I wasn't sure how to tell it. I went three pumps instead of two pumps. Then you'd be like, oh, okay. So the pumping's not clear. Instead of being like, people don't want a digital barista. Right. And what you wouldn't see is that why is nobody using this and they're still going to Starbucks? And that's what you'd be missing. And I think that's the the key gap there. Now I'm going to kick it to you. And and I think we we talked a little bit about the way their teams are structured without like product managers. And I think it really lent itself well to how is research even in their organization, which I think, you know, maybe you might have something to say on that. 
I, I tied what she said to what we've heard a lot of people say on this podcast, this idea of uh, the product instinct or this like gut feeling that something was right. And I think we take for granted that that's so research informed, like these product managers are so research informed. And what she talked about was she came in to Humu and the goal was not for her to do every research project. But it was to, it almost seemed like infused the organization with like a research foundation. So she, you know, now in their development process, they really take time for discovery. They ask good questions. They think about the assumptions. It sounds like if they can do some generative research, they will. And then she gets everyone set up on user testing, which is, I don't want to be a commercial for user testing, but it is extremely easy to run any kind of usability or evaluative test you want. And they, they pretty much walk you through the process. So methodology creation is, is pretty straightforward. So by infusing her organization with these skills to kind of, think through deeply up front and to evaluate what you do, it, it almost frees her up to kind of do these bigger projects, these big, this bigger ethnography or uh, these deeper aspirational type projects. But by studying that foundation of research, people are being more and more informed about customers, about what works for them. And it's like building up this like product intuition among everybody. So I think that it's it's something that I think starts to disappear after a while in a way. It's like, Oh yeah, we uh, we do research, you know, but it's like become so much a part of their process. I bet they would think that they probably don't do very much. Like, ah, oh, we test and we we ask questions up front. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of like design thinking when it was really getting everywhere and designers got sort of irritated by it a little bit, but I think it was really a kind of a similar uh, I don't know, movement is what you're describing, where it was like, what was important was that you're getting everybody to care about design or everybody's design or whatever. It didn't mean that designers weren't there. It kind of just changed to let designers focus on some of the more, you know, the deeper, like bigger conceptual design projects. And I think that's what you're describing too. And and maybe that's a useful takeaway for people too, is that you don't just hire a head of research or a lead researcher, and then that person just does it all. You actually hire that person to elevate research for the entire organization and they'll still have plenty left to do after that. Join us next week as we continue the series with Dennis Mortensen of X.AI. Thanks for listening to the show this week. If you're looking for more resources on how to design, build, market, and sell better products, then head over to betterproduct.community to join, well, the community. And as always, we're curious, what does better product mean to you? Shoot us an email at podcasts at innovatemap.com.